So this morning, when I was um, waking up, I just felt like the Lord was giving me the word, and it all fits perfectly with the music tonight. I didn't realize that Angie was going to sing that particular song, and it's the word prepared. And so we find this one particular piece of scripture. This is from Zechariah. And matter of fact, the kids already shared a little bit about the story. So, um, you know, this is the beginning when uh, Zachariah and uh, Elizabeth, they were, uh, she was barren. She was supposed to have a child. And then uh, it turns out that she is going to be able to have a child. And they're going to name him John, which we just read that particular piece of scripture. And so um, we also find that Zachariah was muted. He couldn't be able to talk because he doubted the angel Gabriel when the angel Gabriel came to him. And then um, finally, when the child comes, he gives this prophecy. And this is what he says. This is the key verse. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And so tonight, I want to just talk to you about the idea of being prepared. And so what's interesting is where we are this year is very different from where we were last year about Christmas time. Because, you know, let me tell you something. We were not prepared for COVID. Can they amen on that? Just weren't. And so we had to kind of sift through all that. And so I'm really looking forward to, you know, uh, Christmas was a, a little different last year because, you know, we had to actually, when we did Christmas Eve service, we had to do reservations to be able to make sure we had enough room for everybody. And so we don't have to do that this year, which is just wonderful. But, you know, what's beautiful about this season, this is uh, the beginning of Advent. And the key word we think about, John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Lord. And so I was thinking about this idea because um, the idea of being prepared, it just seems to me at the beginning, you know, uh, of this month and uh, at the end of this month leading into next month in December, there's a whole lot of preparedness going on. Of course, you know, we just went through Thanksgiving and, um, and I remember, you know, when we got off the plane last Sunday night, I could tell you there was a whole lot of preparedness going on just by the traffic in Orlando airport because everybody's moving and everybody's getting trying to be prepared for the holidays and there's a whole lot going on. This last uh, true story, this last um, the other night, Don and I were, were going, and we were trying to get prepared for Christmas, so we started our Christmas shopping, and so to kind of get a little bit ahead of that. Matter of fact, Mrs. Hendren is really good at that. Matter of fact, she prepares all year long. That's why she's a school teacher. She knows she's always buying stuff, and a great mother. So we went Christmas shopping, and, and so we were at May, uh, uh, we were over there at Belk's, and so I went off and kind of while looking for something for my, my brother-in-law, and then she went off and... See, so she finds herself over there at fine jewelry. And so I happen to be walking by, and so, um, and so she's buying some diamond earrings. And I thought, oh, that's nice. And I said, are those for Marley, our granddaughter? She says, no, they're for me. And I said, okay. This is an early Christmas present, I guess, or whatever. Did bad an eye. Didn't say nothing. And so, um, so we get to the car, and I'm thinking, hmm, I just thought we just bought some diamond earrings. Like, and it, it was like, all of a sudden, it didn't even phase me at first, but then we got in the car. I started, so I turned it on. I said, didn't we just buy some diamond earrings like maybe five or six months ago? She said, yes. And I said, well, what about those earrings? And she said, well, I wasn't going to tell you, but since you asked, I lost one of them. And so I bought those, these today because I wanted to replace the one that I lost. And I said, okay, no problem. So I wasn't prepared for that. And, um, and so I, she said, it's, it's no big deal. And, she said, and I said, well, when were you going to tell me that? She says, I wasn't. And, um, and then she said, <laughs> and then I said, well, you know, it's, it's fine. Uh, no problem. But, uh, you know, being such a great husband I am, I didn't bat an eye. So anyway, so we're, now we're going to have, um, so we got these new pair of earrings. 
And so uh, what's very interesting, she, I, like, when did you lose this? And she said, the reason why I didn't tell you, Harold, is because I knew that you would not be happy, and you'd be freaking out, and then you'd be turning the house upside down, looking for the lost diamond earring, and you'd be looking at, at well, you would be going to my school looking for the diamond earring. She says, I have no idea where I lost the diamond earring. I have no clue. And so there's no use to even wasting your time. So that's the reason why I didn't even tell you. True story. She said to me as we're getting out of the car, she says, Harold, do you think you can maybe wash my car and clean the car out tomorrow? And I said, sure, I could do that. So I'm in there and I'm vacuuming the car and I'm someone sweeping the back seat and there is the diamond earring. <laughs> Booyah! <laughs> I felt like the hero. This is just awesome, right? Now what's beautiful about that story is, is that sometimes in life, isn't it, we can turn everything upside down and look and look and look, and you can't find what the, maybe something of precious value. But I wasn't even looking for the, what was really the precious value thing, and I found it. I, you know what I love about the idea of the season is being, you know, sometimes we're prepared, sometimes we're not prepared. And I wasn't prepared to be able to find that little diamond but boy, howdy, well, I was glad to find that. That was a big find. Now, you know what I love about this part of the season is not only about in the midst of all this preparedness, right? So we almost like flip a switch, right? We go from, you know, getting off the plane that night and everybody's always hustle and bustle. Everybody's getting ready for Thanksgiving and then there's a switch that flips. And then we go to a, from a preparing for Thanksgiving and all that. And then we flip the switch and we start getting prepared for Christmas. And um, in the midst of I love Christmas because I really love tradition. I, I'm very grateful for tradition, that we have our own family traditions. And I, I guarantee you, everybody in this room has some kind of family tradition that you do. Um, you've been doing it for years and years, especially when you think about our children. Now, what's very interesting, um, I brought a few visual aids. So family tradition for Thanksgiving, you cannot have, th cannot have Thanksgiving without uh, Mr. and Mrs. Pilgrim, the Publix Pilgrim Salt and Pepper Shakers, right? And then when you get to Christmas, you can't have Christmas without the Publix uh, Mr. and Mrs. Claus, we have that. And then we also have, at our house, we actually, for years and years and years, we've always had two Christmas trees. And so we, we have the Don and Harold Christmas tree, which is beautiful. It's, uh, it's silver and blue, and it reaches up. It's really, really tall, and we spent all this time and energy decorating it. It's just gorgeous. And so we've always had some kind of Harold and, Christmas, Harold and Donna Christmas tree that we decorated, but we've also have had, for years and years and years, the family Christmas tree that my wife has saved every single ornament that our children have ever made from preschool on. Matter of fact, when we were putting that up yesterday, she told me when, when the child, who, which child made it, when they made it, who was a teacher that they had when they had it, and so forth. And she was just amazing. We put all these Christmas ornaments on this family Christmas tree. So we have like, I have a few of these, like here's this little reindeer I brought from the tree. And then this is one that somebody made, the Jesus is the light of the world that we made in preschool. And then the one that my favorite one that ends up on their family Christmas tree every single year. And this is a picture of Jordan. Matter of fact, I got a picture of that. And that's a little scary. I want you to know that, but that's what ends up on our family Christmas tree every single year. But it's part of tradition, right? And so what I love about this, this story tonight is there's all this, we have the tradition, but we also have the hope that we have for the future in the coming of Jesus Christ, who's come to show us the way. Now, what I love about the story, and I read that one piece of scripture from when the prophecy of Zechariah, and he's prophesying about John the Baptist, who's come, he's talking about his son, that wasn't, he wasn't supposed to be, I have this child, but they end up having this child. 
and that John the Baptist is the one who's come to prepare the way. Now, if you go back to the very beginning of the story, Luke is this great storyteller. And so if you go back to the Gospel of Luke, the very beginning of the story begins with these words, the fifth verse, the first chapter. He says, in the days of King Herod of Judea. Now, what's very interesting about that, one particular phrase, it is just loaded with information. Now, Luke was always trying to put, you know, you, you, when he gives you like that kind of little detail, because he's giving you a point in reference in time. So we know who is in charge, and it's a part of history. It comes to a very pivotal point of history. So we, when we look at the beginning of the story, and we, when Luke gives us that one little detail that King Herod is really in charge, it tells us a little bit about the context and what's going on as John the Baptist and Jesus are to enter the world. Now, what's very interesting, if you think about this, this is so, because that's 2,000 years ago. Let's just think about everybody in this room. And when you were born, I guarantee you, the things that were going on and around you at that time of history really kind of plays a role in the, well, it plays a role in history, but it plays but somewhat kind of a role in the context of the way that you were raised, the way that you were brought up in your life, and it really kind of has influence on your life. For example, I'll give you a few visual aids. This is what was going on when I was... Um, when I was a kid, John F. Kennedy, you know, in 1963, he was assassinated. So uh, I was born in the midst of that era. And then show that next picture. So here's a picture. I was born in the midst of uh, the civil rights movement, uh, Martin Luther King. Show the next picture. So I was born in the midst of the Vietnam War. And I still remember Walter Cronkite every single night giving the list of the tally how many soldiers were either killed or actually um, injured in the war every single night. I remember watching that. It was part of And I remember back in July 21st, 1969, um, uh, Neil Armstrong uh, went to the moon and uh, landed on the moon and walked on the moon. That was a great day because it was my birthday. It was, I was six at the time. And then, then we had this, Woodstock, right? And so, uh, you know, there was about 400,000 kids that show up for Woodstock, and they had a big party for about three, three or four days. And after that, they went, all had to say, okay, now what? And they had no idea what they're going to do next, right? And so, so I was raised in the midst of all that. And you all, too, lived through all that. And so when we think about our lives, this one little phrase that gives us this kind of a clue is Luke, once again, is a storyteller. He says, in the days of King Herod, and it tells us really a little bit about the history that was going on in the midst of John the Baptist and Jesus coming into the world. Now, let me tell you something. Here's very interesting because um, I was, when I went to Florida Southern College, my first class that I went to was world history. Wow. Dr. Haggard, Tuesday, Thursday, 8 o'clock in the morning, an hour and 20 minutes and the dude never lift his head up from reading his notes. Try to stay awake on that, right? And so he began to teach us a little bit of world history. So it was really, 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 really boring. Now, Luke is not boring. The Gospel of Luke is he's a storyteller. It's the reason why he begins his story, and he talks about what's very interesting. He gives us this little detail, and the reason why he gives us this detail, and he begins with the story of King Herod, but he also begins by not starting with Mary and Joseph, the story Luke. What does he start with? He starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Why would he do that? And the reason why he starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth is because he wants, he wants to understand that Mary represents the younger generation, and Zechariah and Elizabeth represent the older generation. 
And so the older generation is actually ushered into a newer generation. Now listen, what's very interesting, when we hear this story about Zachariah and Elizabeth, of course, we know part of the story that she was barren. She wasn't able to have children, right? Where else have we heard the story? Well, it throws us all the way back to the Old Testament. And we have the story about, once again, Abraham and Sarah. And so we look at this story, and there's this comparison. The reason why Luke tells us this story, he wants us to understand this new generation, the old generation, which is, has to do with the pushing forward towards the new, ge- to the new generation. And what's very interesting, and I thought this is a great quote, Luke is mixing a future miracle with a past memory. I've never thought about that before. So he wants us to look back at the past, but he also has taken the past, and, and he's looking, but he's always pointing us towards the future. This is the way Luke is writing his gospel. And so Luke wants us to understand, when he look at these words, in the days of King Herod, he says, listen, that means listen up. Hey, listen, this is really very important. We also know this, and the King Herod, he sold out to the Rome. And we know that's extremely important because, matter of fact, in the ancient days, uh, we also know a little bit about history about Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. And he, went, he flipped on them and he ended up showing his allegiance to, to Rome. And the reason why he did that is because it was the best opportunity for him. He was no fool. So he was in with the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, once again, if he took care of them, they took care of him. And so we think it's very interesting about this. So we also know this little point of history about, once again, all this is going on. You look back at the past in the midst of what Jesus comes into and John the Baptist enter into in the context that we know that, John, that King Herod was a really diabolical dude. He was mean. We also know this because we know that he once when the wise men came, he, there was a decree they went out and he wanted to kill all the babies. We know that. That's how dastardly he was. We also know that um, he killed his sons. We also know that he killed his wife that he loved dearly. We also know that he, loved his, he killed his brother. We also know he killed his mother-in-law because he was so paranoid. This was King Herod. We also know that he actually, the reasons why the people hated him so much is because he actually got rid of the high priest that the people really truly loved. He got rid of him. We also know that he actually had this idea that he sponsored pagan cities. And so the Jewish people hated that. We also know that they, he literally continued to break the backs of the people who were poor, and he continued to tax them more and more and more. Why? Because he wanted to build more and more and more palaces for himself. And Herod had a lot of palaces. No wonder they hated him. And so we, out of all that, we find that one little phrase, in the days of King Herod, I love this quote from the Tale of Two Cities. Charles Dickinson says, you know, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the age of epic of belief. It was the season of light. It was a season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. And I tell you what, that pretty much describes what's going on in first century A.D. So we have this story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. And what's very interesting is that if you go back and one thing, I had to do my research. And I was trying, I, I really love doing research. And I love to be able to teach the lesson so he learned something new. And so this is what I found. We found that actually Elizabeth and Zachariah actually all come from a line of priests, which shows their pedigree. What's very interesting is that you compare the, the priestly pedigree of Elizabeth and Zachariah and you up against Mary, who Mary has absolutely no pedigree. Mary's just a humble, basic, simple little servant. 
She's just about 13 or 14 years old, and yet she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. So you have this comparison. Once again, Luke is a storyteller. He wants us to understand that detail. So they have this pedigree. They come from the priestly line. And what very, it's very important is that Luke, the reason why he gives us the details is that he's, Luke is writing to a Gentile audience. And what's very appalling about that is because he wants the Gentiles to understand that they're part of their pedigree of what they're, they're part of who they are as identity. Even though they're Gentiles, it's connected to the Jewish community. And that even though they are part of the Gentile world, that he connects them through Jesus Christ, that, that we're all one in Jesus Christ. So Luke, when he's weaving this story together, he wants them to understand the importance of actually the history that connects them with the story, the Old Testament story, with the brand new story. We also know this, that Zachariah's name really is really important because Zachariah's name literally means this. It means God remembers. And God remembers what? What does God remember? God remembers a covenant. And in what we're going to find is that God has established this covenant with the children of Israel. But once again, over and over again, that we find that Jesus Christ has come to be able to usher in a brand new covenant, right? This is part of, this is what, in just a few minutes, we're going to bless the sacraments. And I'm going to say, this is the blood of the new covenant. It reminds us. So the idea that Zechariah's name even actually translate, translates to literally means to God remembers the covenant. And we find what's very powerful about this is that we find in the midst of this story is that the rawness of the, once again, even Jesus on the cross, when he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's almost as if God has forgotten the covenant. And what's beautiful is about this is, once again, we find that through the gift of the resurrection that Jesus Christ has ushered a brand new covenant, I am the way and the truth and life. And the idea that, once again, Jesus teaches us the importance of love just as I have taught you to love. And that God has not abandoned his covenant, that he has ultimately gushed in a brand new covenant through Jesus Christ. Amen on that. And what's very powerful about this is so you have the idea that Zechariah's name means um, to be, the idea about remember, God remembers. But you, what's very powerful is that even Elizabeth's name has some very important, mem- uh, important information about it. It means my God. And so we have the connection between Elizabeth's name, my God, E-L-I, which means my God. And we, what's, once again, where do we find that? We find the words of Jesus Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we find this and it all comes together here. In the beginning of the story. And what I think is very powerful, the words of Elizabeth, is that Elizabeth not only is from a priestly line, she's from the priestly line of Aaron. This is important. We also know that she is, once again, uh, a very important to the women in the gospel because what we find is that there is a place in which that she's referred to as a daughter, a daughter of Aaron. And where, who else is a daughter? Well, we find that the hemorrhaging woman is referred to as a daughter. We find that the prophetess, Anna, when Jesus is brought into the temple and is presented on the eighth day to be named, she is also known as a daughter. So there's this connection that between the idea of Elizabeth and her importance of women in the Bible. We also find this, I think it's really great, is because, you know, this story, once again, we find it's a throwback to Abraham and, um, and Sarah, and we have this barren woman, and we have this story, the setting is in the temple. 
And so of all the times which we find that um, Zechariah is from the priestly line, and he is a priest. Now, what most people don't realize, most people think that maybe Zechariah is like the high priest, but he's not. There are literally 20,000 priests. And so they would actually cast lots in order for them to actually, whoever, because it would not be enough, there would be, there were too many priests to go around to be able to actually go in and do this, this special ritual that they would do uh, day in, day out. So they cast lots, and it turned out on this particular day, lo and behold, Zechariah, it's his lucky day. And he finally has this opportunity, this chance of a lifetime to be able to go into the temple and to be able to sprinkle the incense, and to, and to be able to be in this holy of holies, this very holy, important part, that this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You would probably never, ever have an opportunity ever to do. And so as he walks in the temple, imagine this. All the people, they're out there, and they're all praying. This is a holy, holy act. So Zachariah, and you know, how many times has Zachariah been praying for a miracle? How many times has Zechariah been praying for a son? How many times has he been praying for a child that would come into his life? So he's prayed and he's prayed and prayed. And you know what? From the shadow doubt, Zechariah's got to be praying as he walks in. And I, I understand that. You know, I love coming into the worship setting here and, I, and throughout the day or sometimes during the week, I'll come and I'll just kneel at the altar because I find this is a very holy, sacred, special place commitment on that. I love our sanctuary. I love coming in here. It's quiet. There's something very reverent about this particular setting. So the, when you go back to the temple, Zechariah goes in there and you know he has to be praying. And, and I, I also know this. When I went to the Holy Land several years ago, um, I remember praying, I went to every single spot that I could, and I went and kneeled, and I prayed the same prayer over and over again. And you know what I got? I got a no. Have you ever prayed for something, God gave you a no? Can I be amen on that? And so over and over, I mean, I got a no, no, no. And you know what the reason why? I kept praying something, and I got a little bit aggravated with God. You ever been aggravated with God? So I got a little bit aggravated God because God wasn't answering my prayer. You know what? I started reflecting upon that this week as I was praying preparing the sermon, I thought, well, that's pretty arrogant of you, Harold, telling God what you think is best. And what's powerful, I'm glad that God gave me the no, because God does know best. So Aaron goes in, I mean, so Zachariah goes in the temple, and everybody's there, and all praying, and he's praying for a future miracle that God would possibly give him this child. I know that's what's going on. And so what's, I love this part of the story, is that as Zachariah goes in the temple, and all of a sudden, he's in there all by himself. There's nobody else. And guess who shows up? Gabriel. An angel shows up. He's startled. Matter of fact, what's interesting, the little translation, the Greek there, he literally means he's terrified, and it means shaken up. The angel Gabriel shakes up Zechariah. Have you ever been shaken up by, by, the, by the voice of Almighty God? And so literally the translation, and there, there are only a few other places in the whole Bible the interpretation is shaken up, is literally uh, referred to. When um, King Herod hears that Jesus Christ is, is coming, and they, he hears the words from the wise men, and he, the wise men say, hey, listen, we've been following the star, and that um, we, we know that he's got to be around here somewhere, the king of kings. And the Bible literal translation is that, well, King Herod's shaken up. So Zachariah is shaken up. Uh, King Herod is actually, once again, in this story, he's actually, uh, he's a little bit shaken up. 
And then we, we find it here. It's a very powerful part because the idea that, that Zachariah's world is about to get rocked and he is literally, he is shaken up. And then we find this part of the story is that, um, that, that it's very powerful because it, he's not only they shaken up, then we find that, that in the conversation that Zachariah has with the angel Gabriel, and he's, he doubts. And where else have we heard that story? Sarah doubts also, right? So once again, this story is actually a throwback to the Old Testament. And why does Luke tell the story this particular way? Because he wants the Gentiles, all of us, to be able to look back and reflect upon the old story and once again and be able to realize this is a part of our history as well. And so we get to this part of the story, and so Zechariah doubts, and then all of a sudden he's muted. He can't be able, he can't speak any longer. And, and so he says, you're not going to be able to speak until you're able, the baby is actually be born. And he says, and listen, by the way, you're going to name him John. And the word John literally means God is gracious. So what's very powerful is tradition we normally have, but that somehow the name would be connected to Zechariah. That's why that when the children read the scripture just a few minutes ago, there was this kind of confusion because Zechariah couldn't speak. So they went to Elizabeth and said, Elizabeth, what are we supposed to name him? And Elizabeth says, you're supposed to name him John. And they go, well, we're not supposed to name him John because he's actually supposed to be connected to the word Zechariah. And she says, no, you're going to name him John. And the reason why we're going to name him John is because the angel Gabriel said we're going to name him John. And so the little translation is that God is gracious. And so we find this very important. So there's a place in which the word there, and it says that John the Baptist was come and he was full of the Holy Spirit. So we have this part of the story that the angel Gabriel comes and he shakes things up. And then you got the, the idea that John, who's full of the Holy Spirit, and what's the word full of the Holy Spirit mean? It means that literally that the word... Holy Spirit is that we get the word from pneuma, which we have the word wind, and what's a wind do? It knocks us over. So what I love about this party is that Holy Spirit, the whole, the whole idea of that, that, that we get the, the idea of the Holy Spirit comes and he's going to knock us over. John the Baptist is going to come and knock us over with this, the idea he's come to prepare the way of Jesus Christ. So we have the idea that he shakes things up. He knocks us over, and then we find this translation, once again, and this is very important, because Zechariah realizes that his son is the one who's like the, well, they originally believed that Elijah was the one who was going to come back and prepare the way. But because of angel Gabriel gives him this good news, he realizes his son is the one who's going to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. Wow, what an honor. So we have this idea, once again, the angel Gabriel comes and shakes things up, the Holy Spirit comes and the, the gift of the two, the John the Baptist, comes and knocks us over. And the idea of the Elijah, the Elijah part, which is so powerful, because what did Elijah do with the idea that Jesus Christ is going to come, prepare the way, and the idea that connected with Elijah has everything to turn from our ways, that we should be repentant of our sin. So we have the idea of shake things up, knock us over, and turn, turn, turn us back. And the idea to turn us back is to be able to get us back on track. Can every man on that? Have you ever been off track? Have you ever got a little bit sideways with God? Or have you ever been sideways in life, right? We all can understand that. And so this is the little translation to be able to idea that shake things up, knock us over, turn us back to the way that God really wants us to live a righteous life. 
So then Zachariah, he ends up doubting, which is normal. And so, listen, Gabriel says, listen, he explains to him that you're going to have, this is the good news. And the good news is that, Zach, that John the, John's going to come. He's preparing the way. He's like the, the second Elijah. This is all great. And so what I think is really powerful, and I can relate to this as well. Have you ever been speechless in life? I know that that might be difficult for you all to understand that about me. But there have been a few times in my life that I have literally been speechless. You ever been speechless? I can name a few, about three or four. Um, 9-11. The night of 9-11. We went to church that night. Um, my wife went with me. We gathered uh, at our little auditorium at Faith United Methodist in Point Beach. And um, at the end of the time, it came time to pray. And I literally, I didn't know what to pray. And my district superintendent was there. And he didn't know what to pray. I'm telling you why. And it was a Holy Spirit moment. And you know who prayed? My wife. She was bold enough and courageous enough to stand in front of all those people because I couldn't speak. And the district superintendent couldn't speak, but she could speak. And she prayed. And she prayed a beautiful prayer. I, I was speechless that night. Um, there was a moment when my father died, about three or four days after he died. And I was writing a message, a eulogy for my father. And I remember just crying over the papers. And I, I couldn't talk. I remember the day that my daughter, Olivia, our first child, came into the world. And I went out to try to tell my mother-in-law and father-in-law about um, Olivia coming to the world. And I walked out into the waiting room, and I couldn't even talk. I just cried. And there was a one time that my wife comes into me. She's Harold. I've got some news. And she says, I want you to have a non-anxious presence. And I said, what's that? She says, well, Luke just wrecked the car. He's fine, but you just, um, just don't say anything. And I didn't say a word. That was speechless. You've been speechless. So Zacharias, speechless. He can't speak. And so you know what I love this, about this story is, you know, it's just one of those defining moments in the story. I, I think that, you know, once again, you go back in history, and we have all these defining moments in history. And, and then about five months into the story is that we, Elizabeth has this conversation with Mary, and this is the defining moment in the story. When Mary ends up pregnant through the gift of the Holy Spirit with the Christ child. That the Holy Spirit, the gift of Jesus Christ, leaps into her womb. Defining moment, right? And so I started thinking about this little, and just it's just a question. It's just one of those hypothetical questions during this time of preparation as we all get ready for Christmas, right? Does your defining moment in time have anything to do with the good news of Jesus Christ? I think about that. So then, um, so John, John finally arrives, and so they're all excited because um, Elijah and, I mean, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth have this child. They weren't supposed to have this child, just like Abraham and Sarah, but they end up having this child, and everybody's excited. And there's this one little line. Once again, Luke's a great storyteller, isn't he? He just isn't up there like Dr. Haggard reading the notes. He wants you to understand the story. He tells this great story. In the beginning, you know, there is Herod. He tells all this information, the context of what's going on, this tension going on. 
And then as John finally comes in the world, which, by the way, is, it has everything to do with means of God's grace, the, 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 the people involved in this story give us this little line, what will this, this child turn out to be? I love that. I mean, they're asking the question, what's he going to turn out to be? And what I love about that is and when we have a child that comes to the world, isn't the child all just full of possibilities? You never know what this child's going to be. When Don and I had all five of our children, we all thought, you know, we just continue to pray for our children. We, had, we want to do everything we can to love and nurture them and to be able to raise them, that they can love the Lord. But we, once again, when you bring a child in the world, you never know the possibilities what this child might come. So they ask the question, what's this child going to become? He becomes the preparer for the light of the world. So Zechariah finally is able to speak, and then as he begins to speak, he gives this prophecy, and he prophesies that this child of his is like the second Elijah. He's come to prepare the way of the Lord. And so what I love about this, and here's the last little part of my message tonight, Zechariah's prophecy, he points us towards preparation. All his life is preparation or preparatory towards us leading a life towards Jesus Christ. Um, we find out that Zechariah's prophecy gave us a brand new knowledge about who God really is because see, in the ancient time, God was always some kind of distant and it had to do with obedience. And all of a sudden, through this prophecy that we find that Jesus Christ, the Christ child, is not so much about judgment, it's about love and hope and grace. We find out through Zechariah's prophecy, it tells us about something about forgiveness. We find out that through his prophecy, it tells us something about peace. And peace in Hebrew doesn't mean freedom from trouble. It means that we walk towards a life of higher good, the literal translation in the Greek, peace. And so then we find this, that finally he's unmuted and he's able to be able to speak and he has his voice and he finds his voice. And maybe I'm hoping for all of us during this Christmas season that we all find our voice, that we find our voice that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, to, to whoever possibly would hear, actually hear us, that every one of us, I think that's the point of the story tonight, is that we all can find our voice and point people to Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Can I amen on that? That we all find our voice. I close with this, and in fact, I'm, I'm using this this book this uh, this Christmas season. It's called "The Light of the World: The Beginner's Guide of Advent." It's by Amy Jill Levine, and she is um, I think she's from Yale. She's an excellent scholar, and um, and she talked a little bit about this. and And one of the things that she had talked about, and I I think it's very powerful about once again the image of Jesus being the light of the world. And as I walked in tonight, I was talking about you know we we've come to worship Jesus Christ, the light of the world, who's come to pierce the darkness. Come in on that. We've come to worship Jesus Christ, who's the light of the world that's come to be able to pierce the darkness. So one of my one of my favorite places to go in the Holy Land, and it's a very humbling place to go. And um, it's Caiaphas's house. And Caiaphas is where, you know, as we look at the story of the last part of Jesus' life, when he's in Jerusalem, he's about to be killed, he goes through several different trials, right? And so one of the trials he has to go, he ends up going to Caiaphas's house. And so why is it Caiaphas's house? They believe that Jesus was actually lowered down into this cistern, which almost would have been like a jail cell. 
Matter of fact, I've got a picture of it. Here it is, and this is the cistern. And you can actually go down into that particular place. And if you turn the lights off in there, it's pitch black. Now, I can't even imagine what that would be like. But Jesus knows tomorrow he's going to be crucified. So he's hoisted down that, literally hoisted down. You couldn't walk back then. He would literally just would have been hoisted down with a rope and put down at the bottom of the cistern. And when we go to that particular place in the Holy Land, this is the scripture that traditionally that we read. And when pilgrims go to this particular site and you go into the bottom, it's from Psalms 88. My soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. You have put me in the lowest pit and the deepest of depths. I'm confined and cannot escape. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Wow. You read that scripture in the bottom of that pit where Jesus was in Caiaphas's house. Powerful. But what's really, really powerful is the midst of thinking that Jesus Christ is going to be hoisted out of the pit. He's going to be nailed to an old rugged cross. And three days later, he's going to pierce the darkness. Because evilness does not have the final word. And that's the reason why we're here tonight. We've come to worship Jesus Christ who has come to be able to set us free. John the Baptist has come to prepare the way for all of us. And it all, he says, it's not me, but it's that guy right there. His name is Jesus. I follow him. And I'm unworthy to be able to untie the thongs of his sandals. John the Baptist, direct quote. And so my hope for all of us as we think about this Christmas season, my hope is we, once again, we dive in the scripture and learn something new each and every week. That my hope and prayer is that we continue to prepare and we find our voice and that maybe we find something of great value this Christmas. And ultimately, we find him. <laughs>